Evie Wiesel, the Nobel Prize laureate and Holocaust survivor, tells the story of what happened to him when he decided to cross the street at 7th, street and 7th Avenue and 44th Street in Manhattan. As he stepped onto the road, he was hit by a taxi, and the impact hurled him all the way to 45th Street. He lay on the street for almost 20 minutes until an ambulance came to pick him up. He had been living in New York for less than a year, scraping out a living as an American-based foreign correspondent for both Israeli and French newspapers in the early 1960s. Later on, he found out, by the way, that the first hospital refused to admit him. They opened up his wallet and found that he didn't have any money and he didn't have an insurance card. Anyways, when he went to a subsequent hospital, they found out that his entire left side had been shattered. A 10-hour operation ensued to reconstruct it, leaving Elie Wiesel in a cast from his neck down to his feet. The recovery, he was told, was to take months, and he was comforted by the presence of friends and family who visited him. And one of them, an old friend, an Israeli journalist, sat down in a chair next to his bed. He looks at Wiesel up and down, and Wiesel tells him that his hip was shattered. And the man says, the Israeli says, you're lucky, it could have been worse. Wiesel then tells him that his left lung was punctured. The man says it could have been worse. Evie Wiesel then tells him that his arm and shoulder and neck were broken, and he asked to stay in the cast for six weeks. And the man says, you're lucky, it could have been worse. And finally frustrated, Evie Wiesel says to him, how could it have been worse? And the friend says, it could have happened to me. It's nice. Now, I've been a rabbi for almost 30 years. It's difficult to say that, trust me. And I have married hundreds of couples over that time. Sad to say, not all of them are still married. Over the course of those nearly 30 years, I have also seen in my office many, many couples in one kind of trouble or another. I've seen couples struggle with the kind of issues that life brings our way. Children, money, substances, commitment. You name it, it's been seen and heard. The truth is that children and money and substances and commitment are all real problems in a relationship. But with time and experience, I've come to see them somewhat differently. Because more often than not, the problem that you might be having with your spouse might be a symptom and not the real cause of a marriage being in a difficult moment. In other words, couples coming to my office and complaining of an issue with this thing or that thing are seeing the problem in the relationship, but often not the cause. That's what I want to talk about with you today. It often seems to me that at the core of much of our relationship problems is in our foundational wiring. We have instincts within us strung together from our primordial elements, which tell us to eat and survive and drink, look for comfort and shelter. It's this wiring that focuses you with laser-like intensity on getting a drink when you are thirsty. It makes you ignore a phone call when you have a headache. It makes you grouchy when you're tired or you're hungry. It's the wiring that pushes the world to the peripheral edge when we need something. In short, this wiring directs us into ourselves. This wiring is always arguing that I am the center of all things, that my needs are the most important ones. Now, the truth is, from an evolutionary perspective, 
this all makes great sense. Your physical survival depends on you looking after your body because, after all, if you don't, nobody else will. But your emotional life works in exactly the opposite way. Our emotional world only survives when we look after others, and it dies when we only care for ourselves. Not long ago, I read that the word empathy, as we use it, that the word empathy didn't exist until about 150 years ago. Honest, the word didn't exist. As the study of psychology and sociology blossomed, the word was drawn from a made-up German word. Two words, ein Fühlung, which means to be with another person. Before this, we didn't have a word for not just recognizing another person's suffering, but a word that expressed for feeling it too, which is to say, that you might see someone stressing over a lost job or a broken heart or the pain of an illness. You might see their suffering, but that's not enough because empathy asks that you feel what they feel. Empathy asks that you imagine standing in their place and absorb their pain or fear that another person is carrying. So you want to know why some relationships fail? Because far often than not, than any of us would like to admit, we fail miserably at imagining another person's feelings and needs. The difficulty we have with relationships is that we fail in empathy. This idea of empathy, by the way, is the uber story from our Torah reading this morning. Abraham is getting old and he wants to see his son Isaac married and he instructs his servant Eliezer to go back to his old hometown to find a girl for him. Eliezer heads on on a journey that takes him from where Israel is today to where northern Iraq is. That's a thousand kilometers. Traveling 20 kilometers a day, it's six weeks on the back of a camel. And when he arrives to the outskirts of the city, he needs water for himself and his camels. Not long after, a young woman appears and offers him water. He drinks it and empties the jug. She then comes back a second time, bringing water to the camels. And there stands Eliezer, and he looks to the skies and he says, I found it. This is the one. The ancient rabbis of Jewish tradition gave special attention to the fact that the girl who approached Eliezer offered not only water to him, but also to the animals. Giving him water, they said, was a kind gesture for sure. But to get animals their water, she had to go back and forth a number of times because animals need lots of water. And she could only carry a jug or two at a time. And in seeing this empathy, this deep-seated ability to feel another living thing's thirst, even in animals, this despite the fact that her shoulders were aching, her hands were blistering, and the sun was at its high point of the day. Maybe she needed to go home and call a friend back. Maybe she needed to grab something to eat or return an email. Maybe her boyfriend had just broken up with her and she was feeling miserable. But despite all of that, she was able to see beyond her own needs to what someone else needed. In seeing that empathy, Eliezer also knew that she, 
she would be compassionate and patient and loving. This is what we call a constellation of traits, by the way. Meaning that where you find one of these traits, you are near certain to find other traits. In looking for the people that you want to invest your heart with, the best advice that you can give to anyone is not only to look for these traits in other people, but most importantly, in ourselves. Because if you are empathetic, then you will be dependable and compassionate. You will be understanding and you will be patient. Now at this point in the rabbi's handbook of sermon giving, it would tell me to tell you that you need to be, do better at this and you need to think about this and understand this. Just between us, I'm not gonna say it. Well, I will anyway. That you should do better at this and understand this. But I'm also gonna say something else. See, a teacher of mine would always say to me that the best sermons that you'll ever give in your life are the ones that you also need to hear too. So the truth is that this sermon is something that I also need to hear. Because the voice that you're hearing is a human one, which is to say that we all share the same wiring. And I know the most dangerous but meaningful thing that we will ever do in our lives is dare to love and care for other people. In time, the lesson of love will come to tell us that love might be an idea, indeed a noble one, but to be in love is the call to be loving. To be loving means that my call and concern is for my beloved. My concern in a loving relationship is not how I feel, but for the feelings of my beloved. Love is the call that draws us out from ourselves. It is a singular remedy to the systemic, physiological loneliness that we carry with us from the moment that we are born. And empathy is the bridge that brings us to the other side. After all, if I push 10 people over to get a glass of water, I may slake my thirst, but what am I left with? If I had taken an extra minute or two to get there, what if I spent another moment with someone who was asking me a question? What if I smiled through my sadness? What if my expectations of the people in my life are too high, that they're wrong? What if I'm asking too much? What if I ask myself to imagine what they might need from me before I ask what I need from them? These what-ifs answer the pain of many relationships and jokes aside. Don't you think it would have been a lot better if Elie Wiesel's friend had said, seeing you, I'm hurting too. The Kutzke Rebbe loved to tell the story of two peasants in a pub. It's late at night and they've been drinking well into it. One of them turns to the other and says, do you love me? And the other one says, of course I do. And then he says, do you love me, the other one says. And the man says back to him, of course I love you. And they go back and forth saying to each other that they love one another until one of them says, if you say that you love me, tell me what hurts me. And the man says, I don't know. To which the man replies, then how can you say that you love me? At which point the Kutzka Rebbe would go on to say, the only way to love someone is to know where they hurt. Shabbat Shalom.